I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. Savitra, everyone doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. That was a comment that someone left for me on one of my social media pages, and I agree. I actually wonder if we are overly shoving entrepreneurship down people's throats because, you know, that's all we see, you know, someone trying to help someone become an entrepreneur. And in many ways, I'm guilty of it, too. Uh, But I always think back to um, this notion that I'm truly not 100 percent sold that everyone should be an entrepreneur uh, because so many of the most successful people I know didn't go the entrepreneurship route and were still successful, still millionaires, still built a legacy, sent their kids to college uh, without debt and endowed scholarships and ultimately did a lot of things I aspire to do as an entrepreneur. Um, I believe you have to pick your lane and the goal is to really excel at whatever it is you do and find pathways to grow in your respective field. I think that there's way much surrounding um, this idea that you are a slave to someone else if you work for them. And that's an issue because even as entrepreneurs, we have businesses and we actually hire people and we need people to work for us and to give their all and to show up and sometimes uh, to show up even more so. And so sometimes you get on uh, these platforms and they're telling you, you know, work your eight hours a day and take all the vacation time you can. Um, Don't work anymore, you know, mental health, this, this, and that. But in reality, those who get promoted, those who go the furthest, uh, even down this corporate lane are the ones that show up and might give it 110%, y'all. And so I don't want anyone to Uh, just be in this mindset that if you're not an entrepreneur, then you can't show up 110%. You can only do what is the minimum that is required of you. And if you have that mentality inside of a business or a company that you're working for somebody else, then the likelihood that you'll make a good entrepreneur is a little, frankly, um, yeah, low, (laughs) low. You know, I think that It should be more about how can you create a pathway for growth? Um, And if you do, if that growth is aligned with your own plans and goals in your life. A friend once was telling me how they wanted a house in Martha's Vineyard after once visiting. And I replied, oh, yes, I'm definitely getting a vacation home someday. Now, some people make empty statements, right? You know, you might say this or that, but In reality, you don't really necessarily think that that is going to happen, but not for me. You know, if I say something, I've already calculated the math of what affording a vacation home would cost me. I've collected, calculated the time. What part of my life will this come in? And then I essentially work backwards to get there. I made it a habit to not speak empty statements into the world um, really a long time ago. I want to speak things into existence and things that I truly want to have for myself, for my family and for the people around me. And this might be something you want to or maybe not. Right. So you don't have to want the things that people, other people want or um, you don't have to want to live a lifestyle that other people want to live, because at the end of the day, it is just a lifestyle. But if it if it really is, you kind of have to make plans 
you know, you have to make plans for things because things rarely just happen to us. We have to go out and make things happen. I have another really good friend of mine on this week, and I consider him a corporate hustler. He is married with two kids. His wife is a stay-at-home mother by choice, and he actually didn't take an entrepreneur route and doesn't believe it's for everyone. So let's find out why. Um, So it's my pleasure to introduce my good friend, my great friend, uh, Phil Pitchford, a Mr. Go Be Great, as he calls himself, which I need to know the backstory on that feel. Uh, but introduce yourself to the people. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, kind of what your journey has been. But give us a quick little spiel, just introducing yourself properly. Uh, okay. Um, my name is Phil Pitchford. I'm, I go by Mr. Go Be Great on pretty much everything. Um, Milwaukee native, uh, HBCU graduate, FAMU, um, ex-Wall Street analyst, uh, past positions at different corporate corporations, which I'm sure we'll kind of get into. Um, but yeah, that's me. And I'm father, husband, um, all those things and juggling life as best I possibly can. Absolutely. You know, what's crazy, and I just realized this, when you introduced yourself is that I had someone on my last um, podcast episode, uh, Brandon Rule, who was also from Milwaukee. And I don't know. Crazy. I have only met probably two or three people from Milwaukee. Here you go with that. Here you go with that. Just because you ain't met them don't mean we're not there. Yes. (laughs) Apparently, you know, Black folks in Milwaukee are out here doing amazing things uh, and happy to have you on here. He talked a little bit about growing up in Milwaukee. I mean, how was growing up in Milwaukee for you? Um, you know, I'm I'm always one of those people who never, I, I'm not a fan of kind of that, uh, not saying that he was, but, or like I didn't hear it. Um, a fan of kind of like how hard it was growing up and things like that. But Milwaukee is very different from what I'm think, what I think most people think of uh, when they think of Wisconsin, you know, so it's always kind of breaking that stereotype. But for me, it just, it was what it was, you know, like it's what I knew. I didn't know anything outside of Milwaukee until I got to college. Um, But uh, it's a tough city, you know, like I think um, the documentary that just came out, you know, really shine light on kind of the city and what's been a reality for a really long time that there's just, you know, the manufacturing moved out of the city. So black folks lost their jobs and just a lot of people with, you know, not a lot to do, not a lot of businesses hiring, all those different things. So it's just a, it's a tough city, you know, kind of all around when those kind of environments are created and cultivated um, and kind of leave people out in the cold, you know, like, and I think that that is the story of Milwaukee, unfortunately. Absolutely. Now, you left Milwaukee in high school and went off to college to FAMU. Um, I know you are definitely a big representative for HBCUs, definitely for FAMU. And I always see just that highlighted in your own story and constantly via your social media channels. Um, You know, what was your experience like at FAMU? And how do you think that prepared you for what you would do next? Um, I, I 
I often tell people that FAMU was the most consequential decision that I ever made at a you know young age. I finished high school uh, right after I turned 17, and you know I I got accepted into other schools that were you know considered better schools if you you know want to call them. I had all the intentions and plans of going to Duke University. I had a full scholarship. Like knew my potential roommate's name. Um, but it kind of goes back to the Milwaukee aspect of it. Uh, my sister started her college journey at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, then she transferred down to FAMU, um, where she was for a couple of years, until she graduated. And during my senior year of high school, I went down there to visit her. And I honestly had just never seen in person so many Black people in crowded spaces and nobody fighting, nobody shooting. I remember like so vividly when uh, my now brother-in-law took me out um, down in Tallahassee. We, uh, after it was over, I'm so used to, you know, when the club lets out, it's time to go get in the car. Somebody gonna start shooting, someone's gonna start fighting. But at FAMU, it was just like all of these beautiful black people in this, you know, space, everybody just having a good time. And, you know, once I got to know more about the school as a whole, you know, I I felt like I was this, you know, smart person coming out of Milwaukee, which, you know, doesn't have a lot of us doing a whole lot of great things, but got to fam and it's like, you're just another person. Everybody's smart. Everybody's black in it. I'm such an advocate for it because I, I realize like how important it is sometimes to have that period of not feeling like the other in every, you know, kind of scenario for me, like AP classes, I'm one of two maybe black people in the classes, like those kind of things. And I think um, that was like just a big driving factor for going to FAM because of seeing all those black people. And then once I got there, it was, you know, I have, we can discuss it later if you want, like I have thoughts on the importance of actual education in the classroom and traditional education. But what I do think college adds extreme value in is that network, the community and the friends and things that you make. And I've just never, you know, and of course I've never gone to any other school for undergrad, but I've never seen a group that just sticks together closer, push each other consistently, you know, trying to excel. Like it's a beautiful thing. Like, and I think a lot of HBCU graduates somehow like somewhat get that. And I don't think you have to go to an HBCU to get that experience. I'm just glad coming from Milwaukee that I went to FAMU to get that experience because I 100% don't think that I would be anywhere near the person that I am now, not to say that I'm, you know, whatever, but uh, had I gone to Duke, which was considered a better school. And one of my teachers like almost cried when I told her I wasn't going to Duke anymore, that I was going to FAM. She just told me I'm throwing my life away and oh just, yeah, like, it was so, it was so strong. Like, it was just like, wow. Like I'm, I'm 16. Like, why are you, you know? Right. Like, why are you crapping on my dreams? <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was just such a, you know, and I remember that and she, she died uh, soon after because I actually was going to reach back out to her when I started working at Goldman, like, you know, Hey, just want to let you know, fam, you worked out for me, you know, just in some petty stuff. It worked but, out. Well, it worked out, yeah. Yeah. And as the college, you go straight to Goldman, straight to New York. So for those who don't know, Phil is definitely, um, I would say, one of the smartest people I know. Um, and I'm pretty sure his other friends would say that as well. 
And I would consider him like a corporate hustler with this entrepreneurial type mindset. Um, and I'm always interested in the other side of the coin. I think people often reach out to me about entrepreneurship, but like today, for example, um, I spoke on a panel for Procter and Gamble and, you know, I'm speaking to all these people who are in corporate America, many who have not been entrepreneurs and I'm trying to like relate to them in a way that is um, just like relevant, right? Because <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm speaking for my journey. I don't know how it is to sit in their seat, uh, but you do. And some of them may be thinking about like, maybe they have like a side thing, uh, something on the side that they're doing, or maybe they're thinking about doing entrepreneurship um, or starting a business full time. Um, but you started kind of your corporate career at Goldman, right? Is that is that an accurate statement? Yeah. So again, this is one of those things that I don't think would have happened without FAMU. Um, they had such a strong relationship with some of the banks up in New York that they would come and get interns every year uh, from FAMU. So Goldman was one of the companies that, so I was lucky enough to get one of the internships the summer before I graduated and had the offer, you know, at the end of, uh, at the beginning of my senior year, which, you know, was a whole issue because, you know, when you have the offer in hand, it's senior year is a lot harder to, you know, move through. But um, yeah, so started uh, right after um, graduation up at Goldman. And, you know, to your point of, uh, I really think that it was at that time that I kind of like realized how important it was to kind of take control of my career. So um, I think my experiences there were reality check one, you know, I think uh, coming from FAMU and kind of going back to the environment where you're, you know, no longer isolated kind of from microaggressions and all those different kind of, uh, you know, just different things. Like I knew that I was an outsider in the way everyone who was in my incoming class was from uh, Penn, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, like all the Ivy Leagues, all the top tier schools. But in my mind, I looked at that as, yeah, we all did all these different things. I went to FAMU, but we're all sitting at the same table right now. And so I'm like, you know, my mindset has always been really controlling your career and like understanding where you are and my thoughts are if there is someone who went to Harvard, wherever else that can do this job, I can do this just as well, if not better. And, um, you know, just kind of move that way, I guess. And so, I mean, now you've been in a corporate world for a long time. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts as far as being a black man in corporate America and you stayed here, you stayed in corporate America. So, why have you decided to do that? And um, Phil is now at Amazon. I call him the numbers guy. So he's the numbers guy at his previous um, at his previous work employment of iHeartRadio, and now he's at Amazon. Um, and how has that been? Like you've transitioned. I feel like you've had enough um, movement in corporate America from different companies to have like a real live take and experience. And so what has your experience been like, just like in corporate America uh, and just how you maneuvered as like a black man and um, why are you still in corporate America? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we kind of touched on this in conversation. I have, so after my time at Goldman, I took time away from working. I actually went back to Milwaukee and was working at like my aunt's uh, nonprofit school. But what I really used that time for 
was to just kind of evaluate what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, and try my best to map out those things. Um, and since then, like, I've really just, you know, taken almost, a, you know, to our earlier conversation, the convert, uh, entrepreneurial aspect to my career. Um, I think that a lot of times we kind of get beholden to companies and feeling like, you know, oh, I've been here so long, I owe it to them to give them, you know, this notice or to not take this time off because I know it'll hurt, you know, all those different things. But what, you know, being let go from Goldman kind of after the market crash time taught me is that, you know, they'll let you go when they need you to be gone or they need to hit their numbers or whatever reason, however exemplary of an employee you may be. And we have to take that same kind of control of our careers and things. So what I started doing after that time uh, started off at Delta, great position, loved it, loved the company. Um, but when I knew I was outgrowing my position, I started knocking on doors like, hey, I'm ready to move laterally. I'll move vertically. I'll move horizontally. But I need to do something else because I need to learn. I need to grow, whatever else. Those doors didn't open up in the time that I felt was, you know, adequate. So I upped and moved to another company and, you know, got a promotion moving over, leveraging everything I learned at Delta, learned a completely different side of the business at the next company and really just have been doing that exact thing, um, leveraging past skills and everything to find something else to continue to learn, continue to grow, um, which led me to where I am now. Uh, at Amazon, and again, I'm not you know speaking for Amazon or anything like in that way, but I think the culture is for people who have an entrepreneurial spirit in corporate America because of the way they incentivize kind of free thinking and moving outside of the box. And I just really didn't get that at a lot of these other amazing companies and amazing you know organizations. It just wasn't for me. I definitely feel like you have an entrepreneurial um, just spirit about you. And probably I'm surprised since we've known each other that you haven't broken off into something of your own, which I know you have your side projects as well. And even with the name Feel Go Be Great, I was like, oh, he's about to do something with this. And maybe you thought about doing something with it. Um, but where did that name come from or your nick- that nickname? Um, so it actually came from like my grandma, like, what she didn't say go be great but she said now go and be great like in a way but I heard it as go be great and so it just kind of always stuck with me and so I started using it social media like uh, a little bit after she passed like 2006 2008 like that has always been my name on any social media um, you know that I've had and it's kind of just been a you know if you believe in just affirmations um it is just the daily kind of affirmation without having to do the concerted affirmation work at some point, whether it be my business card for my go be great photography, or I get on social media, I'm going to see go be great consistently. And so it just became kind of a mantra in that way. Um, but to your question about, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, and we've had discussion about this, like I, I, to be perfectly honest, the reason that I have not is, again, like I told you, because I have seen you watch this journey, you know, through phone calls, to, uh, driving to and from Baton Rouge and like having to do all these different things and owning every part of your business and being responsible for every part of your business and just realizing, you know, that just 
wasn't for me at the time. There was nothing I felt passionate about enough to drive me the way that I saw how you were driven to scale, like build your businesses. So uh, that was kind of a clear kind of vision for me because, I, you know, everybody always says you need to be, you should start your own business and be an entrepreneur and, you know, have your own instead of working for the man and, you know, all those different things. And I got strong thoughts on that too, because like, I want to know your strong thoughts because that's what I was going straight into. Like, what are your thoughts on corporate America versus everyone should be an entrepreneur, right? So what are your thoughts around that? And, you know, I'm going to give my take and then I'm going to give it to you because you're going to give a better answer. Uh, but I, most people think I'm biased to be like, oh, everybody should be an entrepreneur. But in reality, some of the most successful Black people I've seen growing up were actually on the corporate side. Some of my mentors, some of my advisors um, are Black millionaires via their climb through corporate America. And so I think I have a, a little bit of a different take on it. And just because I think that so many people feel like they can't climb the corporate ladder and they don't see that as a possibility for them. Um, and I often think like, OK, if everybody wants to be an entrepreneur now, we're in that world. Um, what happens to all the would be corporate VPs and corporate presidents and corporate CEOs because they just never went down that path. Um, and it took a different path because of the hype around entrepreneurship. Um, and I also talk about the idea of broke entrepreneurs, right? And so you may not be reporting to the man, but you're reporting mm -hmm. to somebody because even entrepreneurs have to answer to someone. We have bosses ourselves. If you raise venture capital, you got investors. Uh, but we'd love to know your take just on the idea of corporate versus everybody should be a, um, an entrepreneur. So like just to, you know, be as blunt as possible. Like I realize that everybody isn't built to be an entrepreneur. Like everyone feels like they can and should, but it is, it takes a really diverse skill set, personality, all those different things to really be a good entrepreneur, because at least when you're starting off, like when we're talking about like actually bootstrapping and, you know, before you get funding and all those different things. But on the flip side, you know, I, I've all, always told people that since I've gotten further in my career, I have been in rooms where my presence has impacted the community in a substantial way that may never be advertised, may never be anything, even if it's just redirecting a discussion. So I'll give you an example. A prior company I was working for had a uh, someone come present to them a, uh, a race that they do with organizations. And so the company that I was at at the time was like, yeah, I don't think, and it was a uh, it was a race that was supporting black women who had cancer was kind of the uh, donor. Um, I'm trying not to give too many, right. but uh, to reveal who are you talking yeah. about. But in the room, I'm sitting in there. And so the entire, I'm on the executive board of this region that's having this meeting. And I'm the only person of color, let alone black person in the room. And everyone is like, Oh yeah, I don't know if we can do that. Um, our urban, uh, we'll call it division we not, we're not sure that we can hold that, you know, hold that up and really promote that the way it needs to be promoted. And so I'm sitting in a room like, hey, we are in the city of Atlanta, like Atlanta, all these HBCUs right around here, all of these uh, churches and organizations, like we don't need this organization or this specific unit to drive it. Like we can get this driven through community organization. If this has succeeded in X city, it can definitely succeed here. And it ended up raising, you know, almost $200,000 for, 
for the local chapters of that uh, cancer organization. And it's things like that where I feel like there's so much undervalue in uh, kind of moving through the corporate ranks. And not to say that, you know, we're not like, you know, to say a savior of any kind, but I often think about when there is an opportunity that comes up, how many times I've pushed someone who I knew and said, hey, we're looking for a photographer, we're looking for a artist, we're looking for this, and I can immediately go to my, you know, I usually start with my family network because I'm biased like that, but eventually I'm going to rather it's directly avert in uh, overtly or covertly start directing those things more towards where it helps us, you know? And so I think there's a lot of value in being an entrepreneur and all those things. One, it's just not for everybody. Everybody's not built to be an entrepreneur and people need to be honest with themselves. That's how I feel. And also like we, I feel like generational wealth will be grown incrementally. I do think there are people who can skip those generations like a Jay-Z, Beyonce, or whatever you want to call it. But I look at my parents, my mother worked two jobs, my dad worked all the time, just so that my sister and I can go to college when neither of them got to go to college. So now I got to go to college and I got a good career and I'm building a foundation for my kids. So if they do want to be an entrepreneur or do whatever it is they want to do, they have the freedom to do that without that, you know, risk of falling on their butts, you know, the way that uh, the same privilege that our white counterparts have, I want to be able to give that to my children. But I also realize there's, you know, I look at it as incremental ways to get there versus, you know, everybody looks at entrepreneurship as, you know, you're going to be the next Savitra Wilson or something, (laughs) but everybody, everybody doesn't have what I've seen you do. Like I've, you know, watched late night, like, doing you know so i think it's just we need people in the corporate space is my point yeah at this point in our careers and you said something that is so uh relevant because i go at the corporate contracts um in my business right and oftentimes it is someone that looks like me or someone that's black that's like all right let let me show you the game let me help you navigate this system um and R was the person to sign off on it, right? To ensure mm-hmm. that I got the contract. And so just imagine not having anybody that looked like us in positions of power in these corporate spaces. Um, it's kind of crazy to even think about. So and, um, and often, I feel like people often think like there's so many, you know, especially with all the efforts and things around diversity and con- inclusion and things that these cor- like corporations are running all of these decisions through 50 different people to make sure it's the right thing or the right person. And sometimes it is as easy as a conversation that you had with someone in the hallway, like, yeah, we're about to go meet with a vendor who does blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, I know someone who are in just automate, like all of a sudden just redirected. Oh, Phil, I like Phil. He does great work for finance. Like I'll trust this person. And then they hire the person like on the spot. And I've gotten things through people, you know, kind of being in the right position to say something at, you know, the right time. So Yes, I agree. Yeah, and then, you know, I know you do your photography thing uh, on the side. Not sure how often you're still doing it with COVID um, being around. Um, But I also think about those type of things. So someone would consider that like um, lifestyle entrepreneurship, right? So it may not be you scaling a business, but it's something that you do on the side that brings in additional income, Uh, And so, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, that's something that you are able to do your 
full-time job in corporate America, but also kind of have something that you're passionate about on the side that would be considered more of a, a lifestyle. You're not looking to scale it up. You're not necessarily looking to hire a whole bunch of people to join you. Um, but it is something that we would consider like your own small business of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's twofold in one. I think everybody should have that outlet if their full-time career like doesn't give it to them. However you need to get it, because I think, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on finding balance and making sure I'm balanced. And I think my time in New York taught me how important balance just in my personality and life and everything is. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think those are the kind of things where it's an outlet for sure, creatively. And it really started with me, like, as far as doing it for a business, I love to travel. Like that is one of my favorite things to do. Like, you know, COVID. How many countries have you been to Phil? It's been 52 since, uh, the beginning of at the end of 2019 or no 2020. So, um, yeah, COVID is messed up my kind of ramp up. Like I was trying to get to, but um, it started with that, like, just like, you know what, I want to go on all these trips all the time. I can make a couple hundred dollars over the weekend to pay for these trips that I want to do. So I think, you know, taking some entrepreneurial aspect, if that's something that you really want to do. And I do think, you know, I've thought about scaling it or doing it full time because I love it so much. But then it was just also, again, seeing entrepreneurs who have succeeded that grind and that hustle. I was like, I'm, I love photography, but I love it for the art. And it's not something that I'm that passionate about to try and build as a full-time business, but it's a great business that I'm able to do on the side. Absolutely. So I want to shift a little bit. Um, and, you know, I don't know the beliefs of all of my listeners, but um, something that you said in a clubhouse, I think I pinged you into the room. Um, I was invited to speak on a panel called um, God's Kingdom. Um, and this individual wanted to speak to entrepreneurs to talk about how like God played a role in defining their path and how they stay aligned to essentially what God wants them to do, right? Um, now, you know, I was a little like, yeah, I don't know if I completely <laughs> agree with that. Uh, the the uh, host was like, yeah, because if you own a strip club, then, you know, and that ain't in line with God. And so what happened, you know, that money is technically not good. I was like, oh, I don't know. If this is the right question for Savitra. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, yeah. And that's why I say God is still working on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, oh, okay. Oh. Yep. <laughs> but something that you said that I'm going to just like, and I literally, um, you text me this in the during the conversation, mm-hmm. um, and this was essentially about someone saying that they were called to do something, um, a business, but no one else could see it, right? And I know that a lot of you listening, you may feel like you're called, um, maybe that's by God, maybe that's by a, um, a higher power, maybe that's by your subconscious, whatever it may be, to do something, but not everyone around you sees it, and they might think you're crazy, right? And so they might think you're crazy to leave corporate America to go start this um, business. They might think you're crazy to sell your business off or stop your business to go do something else, right? Um, and you said something that I'm going to read back because um, I thought it was just like amazing, uh, which was talent hits a target no one else can. Genius hits a target no one else can see. Moving in the will of God or whatever you believe is absolutely a form of genius. It's literally the highest level of what we call emotional intelligence. It's spiritual awareness. True faith supported by the will of God, being able to have that faith and hear the way 
you're supposed to move per God is a level of intelligence and genius that few reach. And I thought that was so powerful. I was like, so I'm going to take this man off mute and bring him up to the stage so he can give this word to everybody here. I remember I remember that conversation. I was putting my daughter to sleep. That's why I texted to you. And I don't necessarily always like, talk. I like listening on Clubhouse more, but I do like to have input if I know someone on stage. But I mean, so tell me more about that. I mean, tell me more about that. So, you know, I, you know, I am a in my head type of person. So forgive me, if this doesn't come out, you know, perfect. But so my thoughts are like everyone can sometimes see things, right? Like I like when you hear people say, God put this on my heart or um, I just feel a calling here or something like that. To me, I have come to realize later in my life that that is a it is a different form of thinking or a different form of communication. So, you know, I don't like to get too much into religion. So whatever it is that you kind of believe, being able to hear that thing that I feel like is my personal thoughts are. are uh Oh, I think you're, you're frozen. Phil. one second. So for one, I don't want to be giving credit for the uh, talent hits a target. No one else can genius hits a target. No one else can see. Cause I can't even remember where I heard it, but it was years ago. And it was like one of the most profound kind of thoughts on me because it is how I have often felt about, um, you know, I, I, you hear different people say how God may have called, they felt like God was calling them to do something or they felt pulled to go, do this thing that didn't make sense, rather it be, I just, somebody just told me to go under the bridge. Like you even hear it in church growing up, you know, the person saying that something just told me to say hi to this person, all those different things. I have come to realize that I feel like that is a level, uh, a little bit above what we, you know, consider empathy and um, being able to hear that higher calling in a way. And I think it's, you know, a the reason I say it's a form of genius is because I feel like everybody has a level of hearing it at different points or hearing it in different ways, rather they understand what it is or whatever. I feel like we all have callings. We all have gifts. We all have um, these thoughts in our mind that have come from somewhere that we can't necessarily explain, but really being able to pause your own thoughts, your own kind of, uh, non-objectivity on these things that you're hearing and being able to listen and also move in that way, despite what external, you know, forces may, you know, even things like the family. So for a real specific example, I remember when um, I told my mom I was leaving uh, my position, leaving a position at one corporation to go somewhere else. And, you know, the first thing I'm expecting her to say is, you know, congratulations or, you know, something like that. But where she is in her you know, journey, she was like, are you sure you want to do that? It's not a great time to be moving companies. And, you know, you know, like she's definitely looking out for me in the best way possible. But I was doing something at the time that was not conventional. And but I could see it like I just I don't know how to, I couldn't explain it to her or whomever. I just knew that it would work out and it did, but it was, you know, the first time that I, I really put a lot of kind of, you know, faith in following that feeling. If you ever read the book uh, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talks about kind of that uh, 
innate instinct feeling that you get in the gut of your stomach the first second someone says something or some or you meet someone if you feel like mm, something's not right or oh this person is amazing wonderful that first gut feeling you get is more often than not right i think it's that same kind of you know ability but prolonged being able to follow that feeling consistently throughout whatever kind of things come to try and push you off that path but being able to really see the path, hear it, and kind of drown out all the noise, all the negativity, and move in that way that you feel like God is calling you, universe is calling you, or your heart is calling you, and being honest with it, I think is just a form of genius that is the same genius that builds entire, you know, corporations and builds kingdoms out of nothing. Um, it's just a like a that next level of thinking that I think humankind we really haven't like mastered yet. Absolutely. Um, so you, you mentioned something which is going to bring me probably to my last topic point. Um, and we could probably talk about this for a very long time. So I'm not going to even belabor on it, but I do want your thoughts because we have talked about um, it in the past. And that is, Americans obsession, just obsession with time. Right. And you said something just now and you're like, your mom said, you know, maybe it's not a good time. Right. And we think about here, you know, in the U S we schedule everything. Right. So from business meetings to lunches, to leisure time, uh, we're always trying to time things perfectly. Um, we have a race against the clock as far as even entrepreneurs, like, oh, I have to be this, this, or that, which is essentially in many ways your obsession with trying to um, be positioned in the light where other people see you as like the hero. So I always consider like the hero effect. Um, and it's more associated with like your ego than you actually mm-hmm. uh, doing something that is uh, meaningful. Uh, and I think about in general, as like a woman, it's like you have to get married, you have to have kids and just this obsession with time and um, trying to move quickly. Like we're trying to be time when we know that we really can't. Um, and so I'm curious to know your thoughts around just America's obsession with time, particularly following up this last, that last question and how um, you talked about it, right? Like the time, it might not be right for something. Someone mm-hmm. feels like, oh, it's not your time. Uh, but we really do, I feel, as Americans have this obsession with time. And I, I told you, I knew this would be like a difficult conversation because I have a lot of different thoughts that are wide ranging. But I think too, as directly as I can kind of answer, I think that we, I think that physics and science has taught us that time is relative, but we have not conceptualize that idea in our own lives, right? So everybody understands how time is relative where, um, for example, space travel, like the faster you technically travel through space, through time, the slower things are for you. So if someone gets on something that's able to go the speed of light into outer space and they go, you know, 10 light years away and come back 10 light years back, they are going to be younger than the people who they left on earth because the relativity of time, that's the way that it works as a, uh, you know, physics kind of understanding. But in our own personal lives, we are so quick to kind of compare ourselves or our own journeys to everyone else, not looking at the fact that 
everything is relative in everything is relative in a way that is very specific to you. So, uh, you know, we often, everybody on social media will glorify those memes and things that they see of, you know, Oprah Winfrey was this when she was 42 years old and uh, this person was homeless at, you know, 41 and now they're a billionaire. And we hear those things and we're like, you know, motivated by them, but not, I feel like not for the right reasons. Like what that should be telling us is that those people time came when it was supposed to come. And I think going back to the conversation with my mom, I knew that it was time. Like it didn't, I, I understand objectively how she felt the timing was just bad or it was just a huge risk or whatever else. But part of my thoughts on time also is that, you know, we look at time as this kind of gradual thing that we are moving through. And I don't feel like, you know, the future is preordained and written in stone or anything like that. But I do feel because of understanding the relativity of time, as far as it goes to travel, that sometimes those glimpses of what we feel and those glimpses of what we know is possible was really us taking a peek at that other point in time where it worked. Like we were literally for a second, for whatever amount of period, we saw it. We clearly saw that it worked. And that is what drives us towards like knowing that it can work and knowing that something is right or it's the right time to kind of do something. But it's so specific to each person that, you know, like it almost gets convoluted because social media has inundated us with so many comparisons of things that are, you know, to your own specific time, irrelevant, like what you do at 35 and what someone else does at 25 are completely independent of each other because your time is very specific to you. That's this week's episode of From Solid Ground to Resilient. And I hope that you all uh, who are definitely corporate hustlers are thinking about entrepreneurship or how do you stay in corporate America? Just know there are definitely many ways to create a pathway of opportunity and success for yourself and your family and whomever it is that you're doing all of this for. Um, and so I really believe that there was just like one resonating theme for me for this episode. Seek growth and life will no doubt reflect your search. Until next time, y'all take care. Thanks for listening to From Solid Ground to Resilient with me, your host, Savitra Wilson. If you like this show, subscribe, listen, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This helps us reach more people like yourselves, risk takers, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and the likes. Also, be sure to visit CivitraWilson.com and sign up for my newsletter. There you can download everything from my actual pricing sheets to pitch decks, capability statements, and more. All to help you get your entrepreneur wheels turning and your business growing. To learn more about my show and listen to all my podcast episodes, go to abfc.co backslash shows. Until next time, remember, even if no one sees it for you, you have to see it for yourself. Let your work be a testament to your grit, gratitude, passion, persistence, and most importantly, resiliency. Resiliency.